0: Soundness of soul from the inside out. And this morning, knowing how how Abraham was saved can keep your religion from becoming useless. That's the title. Knowing how Abraham was saved can keep your religion from becoming useless. The text we read, 14 through 26. 26. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? And by the way, it's a, a, I was going to say raging. It's not raging. It's ongoing. Uh, Discussion and debate among uh, scholars and and in commentaries on the relationship between James and Paul. And a lot of people put them into opposing camps. And I want to show you, at least in my opinion, why I don't believe that is so. And so that's the nature of the topic. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? Okay, so someone has needs, physical needs in a physical body, and you just give them words. God bless you. Go in peace. What good is that? And then he's going to make a comparison. So also. So that's James' way of saying it's like this. So, also, just like that, faith by itself, words, if it does not have works, is dead. And so James is saying faith lasts without works about as long as a body will last without any food. All right? That's what James is saying. Now, people will object to that, but someone will say, You have faith, I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works. How would you do that? And I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. So here's a person emphasizing now correct doctrine the faith. Not faith as a verb. Faith as that content of belief that we all have. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder or tremble in the old King James. Do you want to be shown, O oh, foolish person, so James has not much patience with this view, obviously, that faith apart from works is useless so now he's going to go back to the father of the faith, Abraham. Abraham carries cloak. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works. So when he says was not... Was not Abraham our father justified by works? He makes it clear that he doesn't mean bare works, works by itself. He means works as an expression of faith. You see that faith was active along with his works. And faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God... ...and it was counted to him as righteousness. In other words, if you just take that statement... Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. If you just take that without understanding what Abraham was doing while he was believing God... ...you'll get a warped view of faith. And he was called a friend of God. 24. You see that a person is justified by works, not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab, the prostitute, justified by works when she received the message and sent them out by another way. Remember, she protected those spies and let them down out of the wall and let them escape. Now, James says, For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. So first, faith without works is like a body without food. That's what he said earlier. Now, faith without works is like a body without breath. The verses, actually, that we looked at last week can raise some interesting questions. James said some things that don't sound quite right to us. He stressed the importance of fulfilling the royal law, eight, And then he talked about judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. That's in 2.13. And those those words are kind of like speed bumps. They sound a little bit foreign, a little bit jarring to, to our sort of uh, more comfortable gospel of personal fulfillment. Uh, they they point to rewards being doled out on the basis of deeds. And yet we know salvation isn't by works. Don't we? Salvation isn't by work; It's by grace through faith. So, so faith is what receives saving grace. Hasn't James talked to Paul? Here's what Paul says. For by the works, there it is, of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Whose sight is this? God's sight, yeah. By works of the law, no human being, that covers just about everybody, no human being will be justified in God's sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. That's, that's the issue this passage in James confronts us with. And there's just never been a time when its teaching is more urgently needed perhaps than today. How does saving faith manifest itself operationally in the one who possesses it? Does grace nullify moral effort or does it accelerate it? If I'm concerned about moral righteousness, am I automatically a legalist? Does emphasizing works minimize the preciousness of a salvation that is free through faith? And I would just submit to you that everyone in this room needs to be able to answer those questions. They're good questions. This is where James is taking us today. It's quite a journey. He's he's leading us to ask hard questions. Do you have to be holy to go to heaven? It's a short question. Do you want to do a show of hands or do you not feel comfortable doing that right now? Yeah. <laughs> do you have to be holy to go to heaven? That's the issue. What role do works have? Well, we're all tempted to say none whatsoever. But it's it's hard, at least at first glance, to hold that answer and give today's text serious weight. Of course, what James is doing in our text is taking his Readers deeper into the issue that he raised back in 12 and 13 of chapter 2. Where he says, so speak and so act. As those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. The words I want to just hit on. So speak and so act. Because those are behavior words, right? So speak, so act. They're, they're, those are the things we, we do. And then there are those troubling words about judgment. What, what judgment is this? If, if we're saved by grace through faith, these words about judgment, by the way, written to these churches... They're kind of hard to digest. If we're saved by faith alone, then what judgment can possibly be left for us? Are you starting to see, these aren't like light, breezy questions. They cut to the heart of saving faith. Being a Christian. They define Christian life. And so James forces these these churchgoers, these Christians, he forces them to come to terms with these issues because they matter. They matter a great deal. Point number one. It would appear there seems to be no such thing as New Testament salvation by faith without a transformed holy life. I get that in James two fourteen to 16 What good is it, my brothers, if someone says, so he says, he has faith, but there's no works? And then here's the question. Can that faith save him? What answer does James expect to that question? Do you think he expects a yes? Or do you think he expects a no? How many say he expects a no? No. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed, lacking in daily food, and one of you says to... The, one of you, he's talking to these Christians, these, these his congregations. One of you says to them, go in peace, be worn, be filled, without giving them things needed for the body. What good is that? Now, there's a right way... And a wrong way to read these verses. The wrong way is to make James say something he isn't saying. James is not saying, please listen to me. James is not saying faith needs to be supplemented by works of righteousness. Works do not need to be added to faith. Faith is big enough and strong enough all on its own to save. Can such faith save him? Faith is big enough and strong enough, all on its own to save, as long as it's genuine faith. That's the issue. That's James' point. He's not talking about adding works to faith. What he's doing is defining genuine faith. That's very different. He's talking about how genuine saving faith manifests itself. He's talking about the inward DNA of New Testament saving faith. That becomes obvious when verse 14 is read carefully. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? And then then look, look at this. Can that faith save him the issue is not can faith save him the issue is can that kind of faith everybody see the difference can that kind of faith save him he's not dealing with the possession of faith in that verse but the profession of a faith that isn't existing What good is it if someone says he has faith? Anyone can say he has faith. Anybody. It's not hard. A few syllables. Say it in any language you want. Write it down on a piece of paper. Anybody can say he or she has faith. But can that faith. Faith In an untransformed life. Can that faith save him? Of course faith can save him. Him, her, anyone else. The thief on the cross. But that faith. The one that's all talk. With no life. The one that has nothing of the love and power of Jesus in it. That faith can't save anyone. And the reason it can't is because it's not faith. If this is stretching you a bit, this isn't a new thought with the Apostle James. And it's not really the first time he's talked about it in his letter that we've been studying together on Sunday mornings. He said the same thing in James 1, 26 and 27. It's not a new idea. If anyone anyone, thinks he is religious... But he doesn't, okay, say bridle his tongue. Okay, that's, that's the action. This is, this is the inward thought. This is the action. Bridle his tongue. But deceives his heart. This person's religion is... See that? Well, how do you tell genuine faith? Religion that's pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. Visit... Action, orphans and widows in their affliction, keep oneself unstained from the world. If anyone thinks he is religious, that's James' way of saying this person thinks he has faith. These verses, the only kind of faith that matters is the one that keeps unstained from the world the one that's pure and undefiled before God. That's what genuine faith is. It's not just what faith does. That's what genuine faith is. If those actions and a host of others like them aren't at least growing, in increasing measure in my heart and mind and hands and feet, out of love for my grace-filled Lord, then I, I don't have faith. I'm just saying I have faith. Look at verse 16. And one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed. What good is that? James... He piles up examples. If anyone says he has faith, 2.14, and one of you says to them, 2.16, it's all words. And and James assumes this believer could have and should have done more than offer his pious blessing. This person used prayerful words, perhaps to soothe his or her conscience and blind his own eyes to what real Christian faith looks like And acts like when it's confronted with human need. We should probably, here we are in church with our Bibles open. We should probably notice the way James highlights, dare I say it? I'm not trying to make enemies, how he highlights phony faith in a church he says well it it it's basically this religion becomes talk it becomes the stuff that just pours off our lips it's the creation of an image words think of all the words think of all the churches across just canada And think of all the words used, words in prayers, words in blessings, words in songs, words in hymns, words in worship courses, words in sermons, words in classes, words of advice, good wishes spoken to brothers and sisters in the lobby and in the hallways. Now they're all valid and essential ingredients to strong Christian living, but, says James, all of them are deadly when they're used as substitutes for the outward action of lived out Christian life. Not just James. This is pretty consistent New Testament stuff. This is John. If anyone has this world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how how does God's love abide in him? That's like, what kind of of faith does he have? Little children, let us not love, does this sound like James, in word or talk? Deed and in truth. Why? Well, because that's what faith is. This? This isn't faith at all. Point number two: working faith contrasted with counterfeit faith. Look with me at James 2:17 to 19. So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have works. See, there's someone wanting to split them up. Show me your faith apart from your works. That's the challenge. How would you do it? And I will show you my faith by my works. Now he's going to give an illustration. You believe that God is one. See, if you, if you don't have, here's the challenge. Show me your faith apart from your works. And I said, how would you do that? Well, there's a way you might do it. You might start marshalling out the things you believe, right? Of course I have faith. We sing the chorus about what we believe. I believe in God our Father. Remember, I believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. And every demon in hell can sing that song. Correct? If if you're not going to show your faith by your works, you've only got one other option. Well, here's the here is what I. I was raised Presbyterian or Pentecostal or Anglican. This is, this is the stuff. I went to Sunday school. I learned this stuff. Don't talk to me about faith. You believe that God is one. You do well. And you know he's just going to pull the rug out. You do well. You and the demons, he says. So faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. That 17th verse is important because, once again, it underscores James' point. Faith without works isn't just inferior. It's not like, you know, mature Christian faith and baby Christian faith. It's not just better faith and inferior faith. Faith without works isn't just inferior. It's, it's, it's dead. I mean, it's dead. Non-existent. You look at a corpse, but you don't say it's a person anymore. Dead. So in other words, this verse helps prove James isn't comparing two kinds of faith. One with works and one without. No. Rather, faith without works isn't faith at all. Don't use that word. That's why he doesn't say demons have faith, he says demons believe. That's what James means when he says works are as important to real faith as breath is important to real life. Take away breath and you aren't just talking about a lower grade of life. You're not talking about life. Simply knowing things, does this apply to any of our hearts in this room this morning? Simply knowing the right things is not faith. If no one's told you that, simply agreeing with the right things is not faith. James shows this to be so in one of the most striking verses in the New Testament. I've already referred to it, that 19th verse. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Even the demons believe. Underline. Even the demons believe. These are very deliberate very calculated, very aimed words from James. He, he just can't come up with a better picture. Okay, He can't come up with a better picture of the difference between mental agreement with biblical truth and saving faith. And he's trying to show they aren't the same thing. Demons fully acknowledge the truth of everything you and I believe. They agree with it. But they are not affected by it other than trembling. They aren't changed by it. And so, James, that's not faith. Write it down. You, you heard it right here. Demons are believers. Demons hear the truth. Demons know the truth. Demons agree that it's truth. Demons believe the truth. If being a Christian and being a believer are the same thing, you're left with the rather awkward conclusion that all the demons are saved, and that can't be right. No, James' obvious point is just the opposite. We all know demons aren't saved. The Bible tells us they aren't going to the place Jesus is going to prepare for you. They're going to a place prepared for the devil and his angels, right? That's what the Bible says. So we know they aren't saved, yet yet they have the same kind of belief that a lot of religious people have. That's where James is going. So, says James, if you want some kind of obvious proof that faith without works isn't saving anyone, you don't have to look very far. Demons know more about God and Jesus than many, many religious people, and they're heading for judgment all the same. Verily, verily, I say unto you, faith without works is really dead point number 3 James uses the old testament scriptures to prove his teaching about faith isn't new or unorthodox Do you want to know James 2:20 Do you want to be shown you foolish person that faith apart from works is useless Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active, active, along with his works. Faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Did I just get louder all of a sudden? Is it just me? Just me? Did I get louder? I did get louder. All right. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Then he talks about Rahab, the prostitute, justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out. 26. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. So James picks some examples of living faith surprisingly he goes to the Old Testament not surprisingly really that's all he had to work with Abraham and Rahab you couldn't get two more different people right aside from being two different genders by the way the only two genders that there are can I put a comma there Okay, just I'm sorry I was reading a pretty good article, a guy out of John Hopkins, not a Christian in any way, shape, or form, who just made the obvious point that he was sick and tired of all of the talk about changing genders. He said, whatever you do surgically, whatever you do surgically, XX never becomes XY, and XY never becomes XX. Never, never, never. God does that. (coughs) Okay, now, back. So Abraham and Rahab. One we know as the great patriarch of the faith. The other, I'm sorry, a hooker. Abraham, he's an obvious pick because he was, as James says, their father in the faith. Verse 21. And Rahab probably represents the other end of the spectrum. Far from having any special status, she was an outsider. She was an outcast of, of no repute whatsoever. So, so the deal here is, what James has to say about real faith applies to everybody. That's why he picks those two people. It's a beautiful thing. It's really what these two have in common that serves James' purpose. First... They were both justified by faith. Paul says so about Abraham. And Hebrews lists both Abraham and Rahab as shining examples of genuine faith. So if we have problems with that, that's just what the Bible says. And so James is writing about faith. They both serve his purpose. Secondly, they both risked everything. in stepping out in obedience to what God was calling them to do. Abraham's life, there's just so many examples. He wasn't perfect. Read his life sometimes. Why in the world God picked him, we'll ask him one day. He left everything to follow God's call. He didn't even know where he was going. He set a knife to offer his only son, Isaac, simply because God was telling him to do that. Rahab she risks the penalty of treason to hide spies from Israel in the wall of her home in Jericho Joshua chapter 2. And so James point in all of this is his words about faith and works aren't just some new twist, some new spin, some departure from the apostle Paul. He says this has always been the nature of real faith. It has never just words. It isn't just concepts. It isn't just agreement with truth. It's actions. It's transformation. It's obedience. This is faith. And it doesn't matter which part of the Bible you go to for your definition. Now, under that point, and we're almost done. I said at the beginning there's a lot of people that have issue with James and Paul. Paul. So maybe just to cut to the chase, let's put two verses up on the screen for for examination. Because there's a lot more, but I think this says it. Paul. Let's read this out loud, okay? Everybody together. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Okay, James. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. One of these things is not like the other. What are we going to do with these two verses? And dozens of others. So, so do Paul and James really teach two different brands of faith? And if that's true, are we going to vote? Which one are we going to go for? My conviction is, Not only do Paul and James not contradict each other, but would fully endorse and agree with each other. And a hint that this is so is found in the fact that they both use Abraham, the father of the faith, as their example and their pattern. But there's a difference. They do write differently. They do emphasize differently. And there's a reason for it. Paul writes to Jews. Who wanted to reject Jesus Christ. Standing on the fact that they were chosen by Abraham. And were given the law. That's Paul's audience. Jewish people. Who want to stand on their Jewishness. And reject Jesus Christ. James writes to people who were putting their faith in Jesus Christ and then living as they pleased. You have two totally different audiences, two totally different situations. And here's my point. Paul and James each emphasized different aspects of faith because they each had to deal with a very different problem and error in their Listeners. Paul, we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Don't tell me you're Abraham's descendants. Don't tell me you you keep the feast. Don't tell me you don't eat pork. Don't tell me you, and he goes through a lot of things. James, you see that a person is justified by works. Not by faith alone. Someone comes and they need food and clothing and you just say God bless you because you say you have faith. That's not faith. And so Paul writes to people. This is really relevant. Paul writes to people relying on good works who reject Jesus Christ. Do you know anybody like that? James writes to people who wanted Jesus without obeying him. Do you know anybody like that? Do they ever show up in the mirror? Paul's point is good works without Jesus aren't going to save anyone. James' point, faith in Jesus that doesn't result in righteousness isn't going to save anyone either. And we need both those wings if we're going to fly. The clue, of course, in James' words is found right at the end of 2.24. The clue is found in that single word alone. A person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Faith alone won't justify because, as James has been saying all along, faith alone isn't real faith. It's like a body without breath a body without food. So here's the conclusion of the matter. Two groups of people are being addressed. You can have all sorts of good works without faith in Jesus. It happens every day all over the planet in dozens of religions and no religion at all. People can be compassionate, they can give to the poor. They can raise good kids. They can be good husbands and dads. They can, they can refrain from cheating on their income tax. Good works happen all over the place. You can have multiplied millions of them without faith in Jesus Christ. So this is the deceptive danger of morality. It's, it's the lie of, of this world's religions. The problem is... Good works, apart from Jesus, don't save. They're what the Bible calls dead works, not wicked works. Dead works are the good things you do that aren't anchored in Christ. And they're dead because they won't, they, there's no life in them. They don't give spiritual life. But while you can have good works aplenty without faith in Jesus Christ, here is something you can't have. You can't have faith in Jesus Christ without good works. You can have good works without faith in Jesus. You can't have faith in Jesus without good works. Always remember there are two groups of people who need faith. The gospel in all of its fullness. First, there are people who are good. They do good things. They're good parents. They're charitable. They don't lie or cheat. They have good marriages. They believe in peace on earth, goodwill to men, or to all, I guess we should say. And that, they assume, will take them to heaven. And if we were saved by good works, it would. Good people need Jesus. Good people are eternally lost without faith in Jesus. I get that from Paul in Philippians 3, 7, 8, and 9. It says, whatever gain I had, and you read the gain, it's talking about his religious pedigree, his spotless religious pedigree. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. What words. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things. And I count them as rubbish. In order that I may gain Christ. And be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own. It's all the good things I do. Not that one. But that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness of. From God that depends on faith. Good people need Jesus. I said there were two groups who need to think about this. The second group, probably closer to most of us, those who profess faith in Jesus, those who sing about how much they love Jesus. They sing worship songs, love songs. They go to church. They memorize verses out of their Bible but have areas of their lives where they're not yielded to the Word and the Spirit. I'm not talking about failures in obedience for which we repent with brokenheartedness. All of us, all of us are there. I'm talking about a a kind of, of casual, careless profession of faith with an unyielded heart. And to all who are leaning on a professed faith in Jesus without listening to him as Lord, James says, Can that faith save him? Can it? Just it just can't. Jesus can't. But that kind of faith can't. Let's pray.